If I lived in this city, this would be my church. And Pastor Jared, you would be my pastor. <laughs> so I'm, I'm almost African. I'm actually Cherokee and a little, little bit of African in there. But um, I am so happy to be here. I, I was, even um, during the conference yesterday, the first thing I said when I got up is that there's moments that you feel like you're in the right place at the right time. And um, I have received more from that conference than I even gave, I promise you. If, I know you've heard Andrew a lot, but what he gave yesterday afternoon will answer virtually every problem you will ever have in your life. And it's about beholding the lamb. And it's just, it just, it's just so rich and so good. But that being said, um, as I prayed, um, actually I slept last night and I didn't pray for you at all. But I did get up and pray for you this morning. <laughs> I was just too tired to, to pray um, last night. But um, I just want to minister to you for a few minutes on what I, um, the Spirit of the Lord uh, helped me see um, over a church I was ministering to. There's a network of them. And <clears throat> I... Um, was in the mother church of this organization and um, preached the word. I can't even tell you what I preached, but I mean, the altar was full. God was moving. God did so many wonderful things and that sense of, oh, this is really good. They had a lot of prayer teams up there. So I was able to actually back up, get up on a platform and just look at what God was doing. And when I did, I saw this, it looked like a thin, um, um, iridescent kind of bluish gray blanket right over the heads of the people, right above where their hands would reach if they were in worship. And um, huge question mark, Lord, what is this? What is this? And it's like this blanket almost of suppression. And I, I never got an answer. I didn't have anything else to say. I had no prophetic word. And so I, I shifted and um, went home. I, I drove all the way home. It's about an eight-hour drive, which I understand that's across your whole nation, which is so bizarre to me. But anyway, um, in the process, just leaning into that huge question mark in my heart toward what, what was happening to that church, I am a church person. I love the church. It bothers me when churches are in trouble. It, I carry churches. And as I got um, almost home, the Lord said to me, what you saw um, was a spirit of regret that had been sent to stall the growth of this church. And as soon as he said it, that pastor called me, just bing. And he said to me, Tracy, I don't believe you're finished. And I said, oh, I promise you, I am not finished. The Lord's already been talking to me. And it just so happens that also on the way home, my next meeting got canceled. I'm going to get home, get some rest. I'm coming right back to you this weekend. When I got there, he stood up before I, I stood up. And um, he, he um, addressed his congregation, and he had this letter in his hand that he had written because he wanted to make sure he'd get these points out. And at the top of this letter, is the, the phrase was written, my letter of regret to the congregation. And he just went down this list of what he should have done. 
He didn't do. He could have done, would have done. None of it was anything that would put a man out of a pulpit. It's just that he, he missed some things. He, he had a son that went into rebellion. And in, if, if it was someone else in the leadership team, he would have sat them down and helped them recover. But because it was his son, he kind of, y'all with me? He openly admitted that he had not done what he should have done and, and, and was weeping while he read the letter and, and um, just... You could tell it was just sitting on him so heavy. And then he says, okay, Tracy, it's your turn. Like, thanks a lot. I mean, you really set this up for him. But actually, it was a setup. And when I got home, when I hear God, I study. I don't just write a word down and then blurb it out and say, hey, this is your deal. I have to see it in the word. And I have, there's got to be a way out. And so this is an old... Um, American singer named Cher. She's old-ish. <laughs> she's probably younger than I am, but she's old-ish. Um, she, she sang a song, and the words, the phrase is, if I could turn back time, if I could find a way. And I tell you that every single person in this auditorium this morning has, has really probably said that in the mix of their real life. If I could unscramble the eggs. And in the natural, you know, the whole world will tell you that you can't turn it back. But the word says that you can redeem the time. And, and I'm telling you in the kingdom of God, you can unscramble the eggs. I, if you play golf in England, is very famous for golf, St. Andrews. Someday I'm going to go there. My husband loves to golf and I love to drive the golf cart and chase ducks. Okay. <laughs> so... So, but there's, in, in the U.S., I'm sure that you're much better at golf than we are, but if you, you swing and you miss, or you swing and you hit the woods, or we call that gorilla golf, like you go from one side of the course to the other, okay? Um, they have this rule, if you're not a professional, called, you can call a mulligan. You get a do-over. Thank you for your underwhelming response right now. So, the, the truth is... The biggest mulligan was proclaimed at the cross of Calvary. Yeah. You get a second chance. You get a do-over in the kingdom of God. And you'll know if you're living in regret because the, the constant words usually coming out of your mouth or maybe just deep in your meditation as you're thinking about your life, getting ready, looking in a mirror. If you're constantly saying, if only... If only I didn't. If only. Are you with me? What regret is, is a perpetual mourning over what you should have done, could have done, would have done, should not, in my case, should not have done. It's a perpetual mourning. And hell has a way of pushing this button about 11 o'clock at night. And this replay of what you should have done, could have done, and that thing sits on you, and it actually stalls your progress in God. Yes. I've never heard anyone preach on regret. I've never, I, certainly we've heard preaching on forgiveness, but regret keeps you in rehearsal of what you should have done, could have done, would have done, and I wrote down three things that, this is just me, not you. But I have to tell on myself, I'm actually anointed to do it. You don't do that. I, I can do that, okay? Um, my number one I wrote down is the pain or the wounds that I have caused others. Yeah. 
I was very lost. I groped in darkness as a lost person. I was an evangelist for hell, to be honest with you. And I was recruiting my very good friend into doing some drugs with me because I just wanted misery loves company. And she had never done drugs. She did not want to do drugs. And, um, and I literally forced her to do drugs. And as a result of that, she quickly became addicted And um, so I have a collision with the power of God. I meet this guy named Jesus, and I am ruined by the love of God, and I am transformed by this power that he gave me. He he strips me, purges me from every addiction in my life in, in a split second. Now, I'm going backward now, and I'm going to try to reach this girl that's on drugs, and to this day, she is still addicted. And I regret so deeply that I was the catalyst to that. I'm just giving you an example, okay? The second regret that I have is that the love that, was, that went undone or unshown, I would get these unctions from the Holy Spirit. Everyone does. That so-and-so needs prayer, so-and-so needs help. Just this, this stirring. And, and, and in our busyness of life, we sometimes wouldn't pick up a phone. Or maybe I was just going through enough stress And enough self-pity, thank you for your underwhelming response, and so self-centered that when I got this unction, I didn't do it. One one case in particular, girl at high school, 400 kids got born again and spirit-filled at my high school because of my sister and I. And we were no holes barred, but my mom began to backslide, and that meant that I was being beaten again at home. Uh, I was, uh, it was just very hard. Um, she didn't want us to walk with God anymore. She, again, misery loves company, and we were being punished for being Christians. And I was moving over toward hating her again. And I had worked on this one student all year. Her name was Susan. All year, I was sharing Jesus with Susan. All year. And, and, and right there, um, I'm having a very bad day. I'm full of self-pity. Listen, it doesn't matter what's happening to you. Everything comes to pull your eyes off of the author and the finisher. And now I'm going to tell you, I can make you feel sorry for me, but the truth is self-pity is the number one enemy of the church. And it will keep you distracted. Are y'all hearing me? And and hell will enlarge itself today because we are self-centered. You're you're having a bad day. I'm having a bad day. All God's cheering are having a bad day. (laughs) Toughen up, buttercup. You have not resisted sin until you have bled. And I was having a bad day and I was full of myself. Sorry. I guess he handed that to me, and I'm, I'm just so used to that. I felt better with it. Give it back. No. Um, um, so in the mix of that, that whole deal, um, Susan, that day, the day that I decided I'm just going to sit here and stew in this, comes to me and says, Tracy, I've been thinking, do you think that Jesus would take someone like me? Oh, you're talking about regret. Huh. I said, Susan, I tell you what, I'm having a hard time today. I'll talk to you tomorrow. I can't, because tomorrow never came. She was hit by a truck. This young guy, 32 years old, had a massive heart attack in his truck, driving to work. And he plowed into the, the area where the bus stop was at. 
and, and hit Susan and her little sister. They life-flighted them to Charleston, which is a, a better trauma hospital, and in, in the flight, both of them died. I, I can't tell you how I wept and wailed over what I should have done. Are y'all hearing me? It, I lost weight. I lost sleep. I, y'all, we are, we, we are so, you know, we think we have these rights to, you know, have these moments. We don't. And so the process, really, I will tell you the truth, I, I cried for four months, went into the summer school School was out, and um, I had a dream right before school started that I was in the cafeteria, and, and in walks Susan. We were actually there alone, and she was radiant. She was radiant. And I looked at her, and I said, Susan, what are you doing here? You're dead. And she said, Tracy, Jesus sent me back to tell you this. The moment that I said I want to give my life to Jesus. It didn't matter if I prayed the prayer. I said it out of my heart. I want to give my life to Jesus. So the moment I said it was the moment I was actually born again. I didn't, re- but, but he also wanted me to tell you, don't you ever let this happen again. Are y'all okay? But do you see the regret? Okay, the third area is the financial mistakes that I have made. Um, I, we've invested. Our mistakes is that we give too much. I, I know that's not popular to say. I just love to be a part of doing something wonderful for someone's life. I, I, I guess you're supposed to suck this in, but I, our mistakes is that we gave too much, invested where we shouldn't have, and all this kind of stuff. And when this happened... It was pretty catastrophic because um, it, it was a result. We lost everything. We lost everything. And, um, and the question, the vote, you know, the jury is out. Did you miss God or not? Did they miss God? And see, I learned from people's mistakes in the Bible that Saul, the king, started right. But he ended up wrong. And you can start right even with other Christians and someone's heart go off and end up wrong. Are y'all hearing me? But in the midst of that, what happened was I lost my confidence in my ability to hear God. I never lost confidence in God. He never lets us down. When we put our hope in God, the word says, he who puts his hope in God will never be disappointed. It was not God's fault. But I have to hear God. That's my job. I, I go in and out. I go through thousands of people a month, literally. I preach 45 weekends out of the year, and I've been doing this for 38 years. So I, you, you need to hear God. I'm, I'm the person that gets in front of people and starts pegging and picking up what God is saying this kind of thing. I'm not bragging. It's just, and so after, after losing everything, I'm in a hotel. It's a January. I've gone through a Christmas break from ministry and, and I'm afraid. I, I, I can't hear God. I, I can't hear God and I can't miss God because missing God over you is going to cost me severely. I have a fear of God that I, I don't see very often in ministry. So, um, you know, they call, your, your ride's here, I'm walking toward the door, I'm just going to step out in obedience, I'm, you know, and when I touch the door handle, 
I'm telling you, the Spirit of God came on me. And he said these words, Tracy, you can begin again. You can, it's not over, it's not finished. Are y'all hearing me? And my biggest regret is that we put the money all over there and who should we have given it to? Whose life didn't get what they needed because we had gone, are y'all okay with me? So, number one, how are you doing? Are you okay? Am I being too mean to you? Especially the self-pity people in here. Okay. Um, Number one. When you have lost at winning some way, when you have regrets over what you should have done, could have done, would have done, should not have done, number one, let your pain work for you. Now, I obviously am very competitive. I didn't know that, but I am. I won't even play a game that I don't believe I can win. I'm serious. You don't want to play board games with me, I'll kill you. Okay. You have to forgive me. Okay. So in the mix of this, as a child, I was unwatched. I would cross a major highway, work through the woods. And there was this horse pasture off in the distance. And at four years old, four, I would, um, coax the horses to the fence. I would get on the back of 18 hand. That's a big animal horse. And I learned to control fully an 18-hand horse that nobody else actually rode because they couldn't ride him. I learned to ride this horse with my body weight, my legs, um, and pressure. I, and I'm a natural. And the owners would come out and they'd see me, get off that horse. And I'd be running through the woods for my life, wait a couple of days, and then I'd sneak back through, coax him over, get back on the horse. Okay, and then they would catch me and I'd be running, but I, it went on and on and on until finally the owners knew where I lived, came to my house and said, listen, we're not obviously going to be able to stop you. So what we want to do is teach you from the ground up. Okay, and what, what was amazing to them as this, this one animal, his name was Cheyenne, they could not control him, could not ride him, but I could at four at four. So by the time I'm about eight, I'm riding so well that they think, you know what? She's actually better than most adults. We're going to put her in a horse show. In a class of 45 people, not novice riders, okay? I, we, you stand, they, the judge is in the middle of the ring. You're going to go through these exercises. Everyone's in the class and you're being weighed and measured against everyone else. And so my first horse show, I got second place out of 45 people. And I was furious. I was so, I was so mad. You know how your throat hurts when you want to cry? See, if you ever see me cry, I am mad. You better move. I don't boo-hoo over, you know, Lassie. I, 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 I was so angry. And my throat was hurting. I was streaming tears and and so the next class because of the tension that I was in the horse couldn't function they okay so you so at any rate I um I didn't win anything 
and the second class. I didn't win third class, didn't win, didn't win. Finally, about the fifth class, I slide off of this animal and I'm dragging this big animal across the ring and I'm getting in the judge's face. And I said, I want to know what I am doing wrong. And he was delighted. He said, you're the only one that has come in here to ask me to assess you, to help you. So he jotted down this, you work on this, this, and this. So on Monday, in the horse show's last three days, on Monday, instead of sleeping in or saying, I quit, and, and it was political, and this is not fair. Are y'all with me? I got up early, and I stayed up late. I rode every single horse in that barn. I worked on everything he said I was weak in. I fortified my weaknesses. I mean, I worked day and night. I, I almost went down the drain in the bathtub. My muscles hurt. I had blisters on my calves. I, I'm telling you, I was absolutely exhausted from working this hard. But the next horse show the next horse show I got first place in every single class why because the pain of losing can either make you or break you you need to use the pain of what you don't want to ever go through again get into the word of God and build that area in your life let it work for you And consequently, because of that, I never got less than second place in any other horse show ever till I moved to the point of being qualified to ride for the U.S. American, okay, equestrian team in the Olympics. Are Are you hearing me? Now, you can go pull the covers over your head and say life's not fair or you can say to God put the finger on the area that I need to work with see listen I know some people in here and certainly in our own church we've actually helped people go through a divorce they needed to go through a divorce but when they come back into our office and they're sitting there and they've got this new boyfriend okay my husband would say to the person, and this actually happened, don't tell Pam that I'm telling this story, don't tell, okay? But this one chick in our church was just clueless. And James says to her, and the guy is in there, I want you to tell me what has changed in your life so that you won't have the same problems and go through another divorce again. And she, she shrugs her shoulders. I don't know. And he says to the guy, What has changed in your life so that you will not break the heart of this woman? And he began to say, it was never my fault. And he looked at the girl who's in our church. She's still there today and said, you're about to have your second divorce. Please don't do this. So she gets married anyway because she loves him. Okay, you with me? They get divorced and she is now back in the office again with another boyfriend. Then the same question is going to be asked. What has changed? Where have you studied in the word? Where have you come before God and said, Lord, I'm broken here. I keep making the same mistake. Let your pain push you. Let it be your motivator. I don't like losing. You don't like losing. We don't have to lose. 
Very good. Yeah. Very good. Are you okay? Yeah. Am I too mean to you? You're doing good. Because this is real Christianity, y'all. This is Monday morning stuff. I love a great conference. I love to cry, you cry. I love the goosebumps. But when Monday morning comes, you're going to have to lay the bricks of the word of God in your weak life. Or you're going to look just like the world, divorced like the world, depressed like the world. Or you take hold of the word and let it change your life. It will engraft into your soul and turn you into someone you actually want to be. Okay? So... Number two, you ready? I can't tell if you're ready. Let me give you a scripture. I got to prove that I actually read scriptures, okay? Um, Okay, 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 okay. Let your pain work for you. I actually do have it written down. It's just okay. Anyway, so that being said, um. I have a very graphic, horrible testimony. And I understand what it is like to stand in front of a pastor in a prayer line after I've given my life to Jesus, been filled with the Holy Spirit, on my way into walking the perfect will of God for my life, and stand before him and say, I can't um, get over certain things in my past that literally have twisted me. So I'm not normal. I didn't ask for that. Not being normal is not my choice. You get raped and beaten by men and women all your life, and you're not going to be normal. So I, I made the mistake of standing in front of pastors and saying, I want to forget. If I could just forget it. I, I, want, I want to forget. The problem with that is it's actually completely, totally impossible for you to forget. And God, God, honestly, if you forget, then you're going to go do the same stupid thing again because you didn't learn from what you did. Are you with me? So I, I've said that, and as I've looked at this, and, and, of course, they would pray that I could forget, and they were wrong for praying it because you can't. But instead of forgetting, you have to replace what you regret. You have to replace what you regret from your past with the promise of your future. Does that make sense? And I I think it was said 50 times yesterday, looking at the problem won't solve the problem. You have to look at the author and the finisher. You have to behold something, but you behold him in the word. You're not just, um, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Are you with me? The way we behold him is in the word. When we behold the promise of God for our life. And I know that people think that Paul was saying, forgetting those things which are behind. But if you look in the original language, and Paul was a Hebrew, not a Greek. Sorry, but I know I'm in the middle of England and you guys wrote the King James Bible and all that. But I'm being trained and taught and tutored by a, um, a Hebraic rabbi and Andy Spirit filled. And 
He's just opened my eyes just slightly to some things. Paul, instead of saying, forgetting the things that are behind, he literally was saying, replacing the things that are behind. I stretch for the high calling of God for the mark. I stretch for the promise of God for my future. When Joseph said, the Lord has caused me to forget, this is in Genesis, the Lord didn't cause him to forget What the Lord did was replaced what he had lost with something so much better. It was the promise. So you're going to have to get up off your blessed assurance. (laughs) Nobody, no one can do your Bible studying for you. No one can do your praying for you. No one can walk with God for you. And what we do is we stand in line. We pay to get in conferences. And, you know, we stand in line for a prophecy. And you've given up your right to hear God yourself and paid some clown to give you a prophecy or prophesy. You with me? Why would you give up hearing God for yourself? The Lord, the Lord. And I love prophecy. I'm not against it. But, and then we stand in line like a lotto prayer line. You give your $2 offering and you want a million dollars worth of someone else's anointing, which is, can't happen. I don't care who tells you it can. Are you with me? Very good. Very good. This can't be imparted. I would if I could. It'd be, oh, God, our life. What, high five. Would our life not be easy? And we just, hey, there you go. Sorry. <laughs> This is about hunger. That's the currency. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst. They shall be fulfilled. Filled full. So we're replacing the things that are behind. My coulda, shoulda, woulda, every regret with the promise that God has for my future. Can I tell you that I I love the characters in the Bible. I love the Old Testament. I don't know why people don't like it. I love it. But in particular, in the New Testament, there was this guy named Peter. Oh, (laughs) Peter was a jerk. Peter, you know, I love, because I'm a jerk too. So I, Peter would leap before he would look. He was, but what I love, he honestly was all in. He gets to Gethsemane. Jesus says, hey, you're going to betray me. He's packing. Okay, y'all don't pack here. So he's got a weapon, okay? If, if it was today, it would have been a 357 Magnum. He actually moves toward this high priest servant and lops his ear off because he's a follow-through guy, okay? He really is. And so, but in the mix of this, I'm going to give you a scripture that, you know, and a, a, that Jesus actually is telling all of the disciples in Matthew 26, verse 32. He says, you are all going to disown me. But after I'm raised to life again, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter declared to him, though they all are offended and stumble and fall away because of you and distrust and desert you, I will never do so. It's never going to happen. He just didn't know his own heart, honestly. 
It's not going to happen, Jesus. I know you're right about most things, but you are not right about this. I am never going to betray you. And Jesus said to him, solemnly, I declare to you, this very night, before a single rooster crows, you will deny and disown me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny or disown you. And all the disciples said, yeah, me too. Okay. Of course, in Mark 14, verse 72. And at once, for the second time, a cock crowed. And Peter remembered how Jesus said to him, before a cock crows um, thrice or twice, you will utterly deny me and disclaim me and all connections with me. This is out of the Amplified Bible. Um, You'll do it three times. And having put, now Peter has done it. Jesus was right. Look at these words. And having put his thoughts upon it, he broke down and wept aloud. That is the full-blown manifestation of regret. Now, I know this because I know you're human. There's no one in this sanctuary that has not wept aloud, possibly, probably, totally alone over what you wish you had done, should have done, could have done, or should not have done. That's the manifestation. Why I'm going here before I get to point three is because, you know, um, Jesus knew it. Because before he ever started Peter, he had already finished Peter. Jesus knew it. Now, prior to him having to tell him, you're going to get sifted. You're going to blow it, Peter. He actually called him into apostleship. So after this event, Jesus dead, buried, resurrected, ascended. Now, this is the real gospel and appearing. If your version of Jesus is dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended, but not appearing... You're not living in the full gospel. So Jesus is appearing and he shows up and what Peter basically, um, he's not finished with God. This is what regret does. You're not finished with God. You're here. You're stalled, but you're here. You're coming. But on your insides, you have quit. Now hold on. The reason you're here and you're going through motions because you're not finished with God. You actually really love him. But regret makes you believe that God is finished with you. And Peter was not finished with God. But he went back to what he did for a living because he believed that God was finished with him. So Jesus shows up. Most people preach that this is a a scathing rebuke. And they say that when Peter said, I love you, I love you, I love you, that he was changing those words. I've gone to it, okay? You go to the Hebrew, the words are not changed. The word for love. Yeah, Jesus, you're my friend. I know this has been preached this way. I've taken it straight to the the authority over, over these words. He's a linguist. In fact, he wrote the American Standard Bible. 
He wrote, he wrote this. That's the rabbi I'm with. For the American Bible Society. I, I want you to know, I, I really searched. And so here's the deal. Jesus shows up and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says the right word. Then Jesus is the one that has changed words. He says, feed my sheep. And Peter, I go to the movies when I read the Bible. All right. All right. Okay. Peter, look at me. Do you love me? I love you. I love you with my whole heart, my whole life. I love you, Jesus. Touch my sheep. Feed my sheep. Touch my sheep. All right. Peter, look at me. Do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know that I don't know my own heart. I want to love you. I believe I love you. But you know, so I'm afraid to say, yes, I love you, but I do love you, completely love you. Then he says, good, lead my sheep. Feed, touch, lead. In other words, the same calling that was on you before you made the blunder is still on you after the blunder. I knew you were going to do this, and I want you to understand that I knew you were going to do it, and you are just as called now as you were before you had the regret. And See, because God is nicer than church people. God is nicer. Are you hearing me? Lord, y'all, gorillas are nicer than church people. Sharks are nicer than church people. I mean, who needs the devil when you have church people? Notice I didn't say Christians. Because you can be born again and not be a Christian. I don't know many Christians. I know a lot of born again people. Because to be a Christian, only a lost person can actually call you a Christian. It was lost people. That said, those people are Christ-like. You hearing me? So regardless of what they think about your calling, because people will weigh you, measure you, assess you, and find you wanting, because they're looking at you after your flesh. But God is the one that looks on the heart. And if you've got a regret and it looks like you can't get back into the will of God today, I'm here to inform you that you are just as called as you were before the regret. And it's never too late to get back on track with God. I'll do a Facebook thing for you because it's, you know, I think I read it there. Maybe I put it there. I don't know. But as many steps as it took to get away from God, it only takes one step to come back. You have to hear this because you haven't quit on God, but somewhere in there, you're like Peter believing that God has quit on you. And, and your mind is saying, well, who can blame him? And the black male, the voice of hell will say, how dare you think that after this, God can use your life? Will you just tell the devil to stick it where the sun doesn't shine? You're going to, y'all, you've got to put your foot down because if the devil is moving his mouth, he is a liar. He's a liar. 
How are you? Okay, I'm, I know you don't have to come back. Uh, and I'm in trouble, so. So you replace the things that are behind with the promise of God for your future. The third thing, my favorite, I can do it. You're going to see a miracle. <laughs> this is going to sound, and I can tell, I can tell you already <laughs> that I'm going to trick you. The third thing to come out of regret is to receive forgiveness. Oh, I can tell by your response. Mm -hmm, praise God. Mm -hmm. If, um, let me take you to a story, true story. Um, my husband was in love with me before I was in love with him. And the Lord told him, because I was not normal and God was healing me, not to pursue me, not to date me, but he was to pastor me. So, I mean, phenomenally, James stuck with it, and my life was changed. Every single day for two solid years, he prayed with me for two hours. Every single day. Hour in the morning, an hour at lunchtime. He walked me through. See, deliverance is not always demonic. Sometimes you need to be delivered from you. Yeah. Okay. But in the process of that, somewhere in there, um, I discover I'm totally in love with this guy. The Lord told him when he met me that I was going to be his wife. And so all these guys wanted to date me. Okay. And I would, because James is my best friend. And I would come to James and say, this guy's just told me I'm supposed to be his wife. He wants to date me. And he goes, look at me, Trace. Anybody ask you out, you come to me. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you whether or not that's God. So, so and I'm, I, I come from such a broken place and such dirt poverty. Um, we didn't even have uh, napkins in our house. We, did, we didn't have enough utensils. I didn't know how to use a fork and a knife. I'm just telling you, James comes from immense wealth. He was thrown out of this very wealthy family. I mean, when you own banks, okay, I, I don't know how to do it because my head won't go past that. I'm like, one, two, three. Okay, never mind. Okay, I, I'm, I'm just telling you. And so, but he got thrown out of his family. But, and so I come from poverty. I did not know to want what most little girls dream about all their life, to want. Because I, I never had a toy. I never had a Christmas. Ever. The first Christmas I had was when James took me home to meet his family. So I don't know to want. You know, like most people do, girls, weddings and engagement rings and that. And so the mix of this, James knows, though, because where he's from, that I ought to have it. So he's out of his family and begins to... Um, work and it's never enough. So he, they've discovered the drug companies would come to our campus and utilize um, the, especially the male students because they knew they were clean. You couldn't drink to go to Bible college. They didn't do drugs. They were very clean. They didn't stay up late. These are clean. So because NASA, this is a, a major um, aeronautical thing, um, 
was trying to test drugs to keep um, astronauts from losing, you know, equilibrium and all that, they would utilize these boys. And another drug company came because males, young males, have this agent, not all of them, but some of them, have this agent in their blood that helps RH-positive mothers and babies live through the pregnancy. Because the blood of the baby fights the blood of the mother. It's a, so, and males, they would draw this. They would draw their blood, spin off this agent, give their blood back. And they paid very well. And they could only do four to six draws. And then it would be depleted. And you never get it back. So sure enough, James has it. Now, here's the problem. He is a needle freak. <laughs> he, law, you pull one out, he's going to pass out. He was in the hospital all of his life from, as a kid with asthma. That's when they used to give you pure adrenaline. I mean, they have a holding down. It, it, very traumatic. So, but he wants to buy something from me. He wants to get me a wedding ring, a, a diamond. And, um, and I don't want it. I don't care. So in the process of this, <laughs> I go with him to this place. When he walks in, He's all, y'all, this is the whitest man on the planet. The guy is so white that you can almost see through his skin. He's bright white. He's Scottish, Scottish, completely white. He went whiter. He walks in. He goes white. He starts, he's sweating profusely, says to the nurse, tie me down. Tie me down. They're giving him orange juice. He's passing out. I'm, okay, they tie him down. They literally tied him down. I'm with him, and, and um, you know, they're drawing the blood and you know, spinning and giving his blood back. It takes a little while. And so uh, he's paid well. And then after the sixth draw, he still has as much as he had from in the first. So they beg him. They need this. And he wants to because he's, he's trying to get a ring. And so in the process of all of this, for a solid 15 months, three times a week, it never taps out. So this is where we are. So anyway, I'm going to go meet his family. He loves me, wants me to marry him. And um, y'all, his mother was a test pilot for a broom factory. (laughs) (laughs) I was terrified. I just, I can't even... So anyway, she's dripping, she's dripping with all these jewels and pearls and all of this. And she has this, this, um, this leopard skin hat on and this fox thing hanging off. The, I mean, it was, and, um, and cat eye glasses with um, jewels. And um, anyway, she says the next day we, we get there, it's up in New Jersey, right outside of New York City. And um, she says, I've got jewelry at the jewelry store that's being repaired let's go, let's go downtown. So um, we show up and I'm just walking in. I'm like, you know, <laughs> I was so scared. It, I, well, you won't be able to handle me if I tell you the real truth. So anyway, James walks over the counter and I'm just looking, you know, and I see the jeweler behind the counter with a envelope doing this into James's hand. Is, what is that? And, you know, he said, come here. And he doesn't turn around yet. And then he turns around and gets down on one knee and holds this ring up. 
And he says, Tracy, I hope that this is big enough because I don't have any more blood. (laughs) And y'all see, I watched him vomit. I watched him suffer, not even understanding that he was going through all of that suffering to present this to me. You with me? Now, you need to hear me because the Lord was pierced for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. So, y'all, listen to me. His blood, his blood was poured out so that he could marry you. He, so when he offers you forgiveness because, and has poured his blood out for you to have it, you don't need, well, okay, number three, You need to receive forgiveness. Well, amen, praise God. No, I'm going to tell you what I did when James offered me the diamond. I came unglued. I was not dignified at all. I didn't give him a golf clap. You know, well, isn't that precious? No, I I came unglued. Uh, His parents kind of grabbed hold of me because they thought I was going to pass out. I, I fall down on my knees with him. I'm holding on to him. I'm sobbing, saying, yes, 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 yes. Are, are you with me? And when the Lord is offering forgiveness so that you can come out of this suppressing blanket of regret in your life and not be stalled, you don't need to sort of take it. Well, you know, whatever. Are y'all, you, got, you got this? He's paid a high price for you to live in absolute freedom. He doesn't want you to get up every day saying, I hate my life. I hate what I've done. I'm a loser. I'm never going to get anywhere. He wants you to get up in the morning and say, I love my life. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's where he wants you. That's where he wants you. You witnessed a miracle. I want you to write a letter to my husband and tell him it is absolutely possible. Okay? So, so here's the deal. You know, I'm I'm feeling it in here that someone, and probably 100% of people in here, if they get real honest, would say, yeah, I've, yes. I've lived under some things. Let your pain work for you. So there's a Monday morning assignment on you. Homework. Homework. And and as you let the motivation of never wanting to lose again take you, what you also need to do, especially, is go after the problem area. Now, it wasn't my fault that I was not normal. But there came a day when I had to look in the mirror and say, no matter what they did, I am now responsible for where I'm going. I'm, I'm been, I've been pulled out of that family tree and I'm engrafted into the vine. The sap of God, the life force of God is available to flow through my life. But it's the word. The word is alive. It, it'll separate your thoughts from the intent of your heart. It's, it's powerful. 
and your mind can be transformed. You actually, you actually can be changed completely by the word. That's the only thing that replaces the regret is the promise. You with me? And, and most of all, certainly, and as much. How many would just be honest enough to say, you know, I'd like to receive forgiveness today. And see, here's the deal. You've actually asked for forgiveness. But that rehearsal is still going on. So that event, whatever it was, is still owning you.